Hoo-de-hoo. Hoo-de-hoo. All right, guys. So you ever seen those shows where you're these guys are just looking for whatever it is and they see a creature they've never seen before? Well, that is our next guest. She's a very rare person. I came across her through one of the support groups, which ironically wasn't one of the disabled groups. It was one of the podcast promotion groups and found out we were both had eye problems and we randomly just started talking. And I think it lasted the first conversation lasted about 10 hours and very unexpected. We had heated debates. We had very nice conversations, but I gained a lot of respect for her. No matter what she tries to lead on she is a very kind person so my next guest is raven hello there raven hello i'm from michigan and i co-host the podcast intersectional insights and i also work at a service dog school i've been doing that for over five years what's your actual condition i had retinal blastoma it was not bilateral it was diagnosed uh, in each eye separately about a year and a half apart and you have prosthetics right yeah i do okay Those until i take them out do you ever have to get them changed like every so often yeah you're supposed to get it done every five years yep okay that's what i thought my friend paul has those two and i didn't remember the the amount of time and you're completely blind just in case anybody didn't realize that you can't have light perception with prosthetic eyes as many people seem to be very confused about yeah they can't imagine it i guess right that's what that is it's kind of hard to understand certain things unless that actually happens to you because even i don't understand it to a certain extent yeah a lot um, of blind people even... don't get it like when you say you're blind they're like yeah i'm blind too but i can enlarge shit on the screen and i'm like <laughs> yeah that's not possible for all blind people Right. There's people who are like me who have some sight. There's people like you who have no sight. And then there's people who actually can just see light. That's weird in itself. Like they don't see anything just light. I think I'd rather be blind than that. Probably speaking out of a term, but I don't know. I don't there's know. I times think where they find it useful. Yeah. I'm wrong. They use it to see like but, uh, doorways and driveways and they, they can like kind of see that by the way the light reflects and different things, I guess. So. Yeah. So... When meeting Raven, we just kind of were discussing about different things. And she didn't want to come on and just do this, you know, what I normally do, which is just interview just someone. just let people talk about their life that. story. I'm not talking about my life story. Nobody wants to hear right. that. She, people do, but she doesn't <laughs> want to tell. We're just going to, from time to time, we're just going to do an episode together, whether it's on her podcast, my podcast, and we're just going to do a topic. And we're just going to shoot the shit and just try to inform some people as much as we can. You like it, you like it, you know, you don't. Um, but today we're so, talking about how we pay our bills, right? Woo! Yeah. Pay our bills. I mean... Yeah, finding that job. We're going to talk right. about that. I found out years ago, like, the percentages even of visually impaired and blind people, like, 71% of us don't have jobs. It's a problem. There's not much affordable to us unless it's, like, these nonprofit organizations that give us a chance. But even them, they benefit off of us. Some of us get lucky and some of us go to school and, and, you know, there's always that example. Like my mom used to always say, like, stop getting down on yourself. There's blind lawyers out there and there's blind this. And it's like, she makes it like there's 3000 of them. And again, that doesn't mean they didn't make it and deserve what they got, but it's like, yeah, mom, but there's like two of them. 
and we all fall into different categories and some things worked out for him that wouldn't work out for me. It'd be interesting to know the percentage breakdown for like blind people in different areas of employment. Cause I think there are some areas that folks who are blind and employed tend toward certain career fields. So like computer side, the legal field, education, those are areas yeah. that we're encouraged to go into. So, well, tech has really been our friend. Yes. Um, like with the iPhone. There's a lot of different areas of computer science, though, like different software companies. That too, yeah. When I when I came up, a lot of the visual impaired and blind people got a couple of different projects. Jaws was uh-huh. the one where it's like for non-Apple devices, it's voiceover for your whole computer, and you can get it programmed on. And Zoom text is like what people do with their pictures and stuff where they take their fingers and they zoom in, except you're doing it. Yeah. It's magnification. It's a magnification software. Yep. But it was specific software. Whereas like a lot of computers already had a magnifier or some sort of magnification, but it wasn't on that kind of quality. So there were certain programs out there that has always kind of been the staples, but they don't realize like how many different types of technology is really out there to benefit us. Because I know so many people with Android or Apple devices who can use their phone as good as anyone it may take them a little bit longer because of how the voiceover is. Like with voiceover, you you have to like double click. It's not just like a one tap thing and you're in. Your gestures on the screen are different. Yeah, yes. you scroll through and it's much more difficult, but it, just, it works just as well. I don't think it's just as difficult, but of course it's all I know for interacting with the phone. So Right. I think it's a little more difficult just because like if I see something on the screen, I just tap it. Whereas you like... You know, you have to wait for someone to say something to you. Someone? Siri or whoever. I use voiceover. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Voiceover, but I mean, it's basically Siri. It's not. They're two different voices. I guess it is, yeah. It is, because Siri is modeled after a voice actor, and voiceover is actually not. Voiceover oh, okay. is a computerized voice designed by another person. How uh, fast do you have your audio? Because I know uh, some people like it like super like fast. like at 90%. I don't know pretty fast yes a lot of people can't understand it so i mean we we are two good examples but also maybe not so because we are both employed so in a way we're good examples yeah no i mean in a way because we're going to talk about you know how bad it is to get a job in our area well how bad it is is this the employment rate among people with disabilities across the board not just folks who are blind is only 36 percent you're unemployed, right? That's employed, sir. Employed, okay. It went up a little bit, I guess, because last time I checked, it was like 71% of us were unemployed. So still not great. That's disabled people in general. That's not just Disabled. Blind. Oh, right, right, right. I don't know how many disabled people are in the world. I mean, I know it's a lot. But... We're the largest minority group. The numbers I've seen are around 1.6 billion. Oh. Now this is in the world? In the world. Okay. Yeah, that ain't good. I guess we're on here to talk about how hard it is to find a job. Not supposed to compare yourself to other people, but that's kind of what we're doing anyway. And (laughs) um, when I think about when my siblings first got their jobs, I think my sister was 13 or 14 when she got her first job. My brother was 14 or 15 when he got his first job. They they weren't disabled, right? I think I was 20. Yes, my siblings are able-bodied people they have their eyesight no disabilities and yeah i got my first job when i was 20 and 
I don't know. I was just motivated at the time by like just simple shit that I wanted to do or have. And I'm like, man, the social security stuff is not enough for me. I was also motivated by my guide dog. I wanted better for him as well as myself. Having a job made that possible. And then I, you know, I started thinking about what I wanted to do in life and how like, okay, the longer you wait to gain job experience, the harder it's going to be to get a job. A problem that a lot of us come against, especially like folks who are blind, but maybe even across the disability community is SSI, right? Like the Social Security Administration has all these rules, reasonably so, to some extent. They have rules that you can only make a certain amount of money. Or if you start earning money, we're going to start deducting this much from your check. And that scares a lot of people because like a lot of times, like the money that you'll get each month is it's not what you're going to make part-time, which is how a lot of jobs come to you when you first start working. A lot of people in general don't start out with full-time jobs. And so it's scary to lose that money, especially when you think about a lot of jobs are temporary. You don't know how long you're going to be there. You don't want to lose that money and go through trying to get your SSI back. Yeah, it is a security blanket. And you don't want to go through trying to get it back. Or like, I had to go through like submitting my pay stubs all the time. Still do. Back when I was on SSI. And that's a headache. Because they don't look at that. They only look at it like every three months or something. And then you get this huge amount deducted from the one social security check. And that hurts. So... It's tough. A lot of blind people, they want to go from SSI to full-time job. That's very difficult to do. Because like I said, a lot of people don't even start out with full-time jobs as their first job. Right. Well, one of the things people don't know, like, okay, I think when I started with Social Security, just SSI by itself, it's like 730 or 720 something, whatever it was. And when I started working, I don't know, I was making like, it was like $8, 850 or whatever it was. And the first two paychecks, I got my full 730 or whatever Mm -hmm. it was. And it was like, ooh, this is nice. You're putting these three paychecks together now. And then third paycheck, it was like, you owe us 700 and some dollars, 800. And so now we're only going to give you about 100 to 200 a month. And I was making just over what I was getting for my disability. And And luckily, I was staying with my grandma before I got my apartment. And it wasn't feasible. And so then what you, what happens is people start saying, well, you should get SSDI, but what they don't yeah, tell you is if you don't have that, mm-hmm. well, that, but also if you don't have a lot of work experience. So when I got SSDI, I had to fight for it. But when I finally got it, I would only, it was only working for like a year and a half. SSDI is all about what you put into it. If you don't put much into it, your SSDI is going to probably be less than your social, your SSI, but the good thing about SSDI is there's less limitations and you can build it. So I went from, I think my first year of SSDI, I was only getting like 140 bucks, but then the next year, it well, went why right did up not to have like that four, experience? Yeah. My the second year, it went right up to about 450 and now it's like eight, 900. Like it's, it's way up there now. Yeah. But yeah, there, there's a lot of things that they don't tell you because they don't want to tell you unless you need to be around a bunch of disabled people to really know your you know, because I had I had SSI since I was a kid, but my mom always had, you know, I gave it to her. But yeah, they don't tell you that. And then like when you get a job, 
you could lose your social security, like whatever it is. I mean, it's up to like 2000 something a month, whatever. That's me. I am no longer on social security. Right. Yeah. And with my company, they've been offering people, do you want to go on salary? And salary sounds great, but it's like, okay, so let's just say, I'm I'm not giving my what I make, but let's say I was making between social security and my paychecks, I was getting, I don't know, making $30,000. They are like, well, we'll pay you $32,000 a year or whatever. And it's like, that sounds great. Oh, yeah, it's a big amount of money that you're losing because you get like when you work out how much you get through Social Security, it's like 9,000 a year. It's a little over that. I cannot remember. No, you're right. But that also isn't taxed. But your your checks are going to be taxed. And then again, if this job, let's say this job forecloses or somebody takes over or or whatever, and it becomes a whole new thing or you just to say you get fired, you now don't have disability and unemployment is not going to help you. It's going to help a little, but you now no longer have your disability and unemployment. And now you have to go find a job where, for the most part, they're not hiring other people with disabilities. And so now you don't have it at all. So if you're going to lose your disability, which there's nothing wrong with that, but you got to make sure you're in a secure place where financially you're going to be okay. But if you're just going to lose it just because someone says, oh, we're going to pay you you know, a certain amount, it's like you, you need to look at your whole situation before you just kick that thing to the curb because there's a lot of people that lose it and then they want to get it back and it's much harder to get back even though you're still disabled (laughs) you're always going to be disabled yeah it's funny the paperwork i got from them said that my disability ended and i'm like yeah that's cute i mean i guess think whatever you want to still disabled but what they meant was that my condition was not preventing me from what they call substantial gainful activity which means you earn over the amount of money each month. That is the income cap that allows you to be eligible for a disability check. Right. And, and, you know, I'm not, of course, not making fun of you, but you don't make all that much to where it's like a big difference. Like to lose your disability, you're not like when I said 2000 before tax, like it's before taxes. So I, I think it's like 2120 or something, 2150. It's something at right now. It was 2040. And now it's 21 something, which is, it sounds, 2100 a month sounds great, but it's before taxes. Yeah, they count your gross wages or your gross income. So when she says she's off disability, she's making too much per year and per month off of disability. But if she was adding the disability on top of it, her amount would be so much better. But she's not making a crazy amount to where she should have lost her disability, but it's the restrictions and everything and they make it. That's why a lot of disabled people do not want to work. Yeah, they don't. Because Mm -hmm. they don't find it necessary to just put their social security at risk. And it's better to stay home. A lot of folks too, like depending on your medical condition or needs, losing social security is scary to them because they need certain benefits that, they otherwise would not have access to. And whatever, like I can still get Medicare as a disabled person. I don't need to receive a disability check in order to be eligible for Medicare. But a lot of people are afraid of like losing Medicaid or benefits they can get through their state programs because they need expensive procedures, medications, specialists. A lot of blind people have multiple disabilities because their blindness is a result of some other condition that they are diagnosed with. So 
it wouldn't be as financially beneficial for them to get off Social Security. And I consider myself very fortunate that I don't have this situation. I mean, I've got to get my prosthetics remade every five years. And I mean, insurance will cover them, fortunately. So they're thousands of dollars. Yes. Yeah, they're very, they're very expensive. Our insurance is godly for the most part. Like it pays for everything, but like we kind of take it for granted sometimes because I'll go in and I'll get, if you look at eye drops alone, they're all these small bottles. I take about four eye drops a day. If you look at the prices, they're hundreds to thousands of dollars, but I pay like two, three dollars for them. And all the surgeries I get, all the, just going to the doctors and just getting light shine in my eyes, all that shit is hundreds and thousands of dollars. And I remember getting on an ambulance. Forget it. Yeah, I got on an ambulance one time because I had a really bad panic attack when my anxiety was at its worst. And I looked at the bill just for the ambulance ride alone was $1,250. And I said, I said, that's ridiculous. I could have had a panic attack and just jumped in a cab for 10 bucks and maybe I would have made it. It's crazy, but there's a lot of things they just don't tell you. Another thing they don't tell you with the social security and the disability, when you get disability, when you get Medicaid, they don't tell you after two years, you got to pay for it. The first two years, you're just like, wow, this is great. I get this amazing insurance that I've had my whole life or for as long as I've been disabled. And then after two years of having disability, they pull this thing out of nowhere and go, hey, you know, now you got to pay, you know, whatever it is, you know, 80 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever. I don't remember what I pay. I just write the check and just say, here, take it. You know, they don't tell you that. You could tell them that. (laughs) (laughs) But they never stop coming back. But yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of people, especially that are newer to the disabled world or newer to navigating trying to get benefits, adulthood, I think, as a disabled yeah. person independently. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you were protected by your parents or, or, you know, you're just coming to where now I want to have my own independence. I want to be my, an adult and be myself and get away from my family. How do I navigate this world being disabled? And you realize it's much harder than just how people treat you or, or the job market or any of that. The beginning stages are frustrating. Yeah. Just getting your social security or whatever. They really do make it so we don't want to work. They don't incentivize people to get employed. They pay you such an amount that it is a really difficult loss of income for some people. And especially since they don't catch it right away when your income goes over a certain amount, that shit accumulates. And then they send you a letter saying, yeah, you owe us $18,000. And (laughs) people don't want to deal with that circus. So Mm -hmm. they just don't even. I, however, am somebody, I'm just like, this is very uh, fortunate for me. I understand. But I'm just like, I don't want to fucking deal with them anymore. So when they sent me a letter, like your case is up for review, but you can send us, you know, your whole life's history so that we can uh, make a determination. I'm just like, I don't care. Go ahead and make whatever determination you're going to make. I'm not fighting it. But of course, like I'm in a position financially where I could make that call. Other people are not. Other people are really struggling, but I live by myself. It's just me and my dog. I'm child free. See ya. Get out of my life then. To me, it was just another headache. And I was fortunate enough to just say, all right, make whatever determination you're going to make then. A lot of people struggle without that income. So I get that. Yeah. Another thing is like, there's people that I I, I knew someone who I work with who is disabled, has a really bad eye condition, 
but they would not let her get disability. They wouldn't let her have it. She couldn't get social security or anything. So she had to fight it. And when she got it, she got a bunch of money back, mm-hmm. Yeah, they, but she they had years back, and years okay. of fighting it. Yeah. yeah. But the problem is a good part of that comes off of the lawyer. You may say like, oh, I got $10,000 or whatever. It's like, that's cool. But some of that, a, a good percentage of that is coming off of the lawyer for what he did. And even though you still suffered those 10 years or however as long you waited, it's, it's rough. And like I said, there's a lot of things that just go into this that people don't tell you unless you go through it first. When I first tried to get disability, I was down to social security office, already had SSI and I just wanted disability. And the lady said to me, you won't be able to get this until for another 10 years. I said, that makes no sense. I know someone who works just amount the same amount of time as I did, maybe a couple months and he got it. That's not true. Uh, I was like, can I just talk to one of your supervisors? She says, no. And she just kept refusing. And then of course I started getting very irritated. And of course the security guard, and this is why they keep security guards in those offices because they know half of the people that are in there want to light that building on fire because they treat us like garbage. The security guard was nice, but he knew I was very irritated because I knew she was wrong. I knew I didn't have all the information because they know I don't know all this stuff. I'm just trying to get disability at the time. And so I found someone who knew someone who worked at Social Security and she got me to the right voice. And she said, yeah, we'll work on it. And a couple months later, I had disability. But if I didn't have that connection, I probably would still not have it. The thing about the Social Security Administration is that dealing with them is wild. Every time you talk to a different person, you learn something new. I mean, I don't even understand how they all don't have the same information. It blows my mind. I mean, this is one of the reasons I do not want to keep dealing with them. Unbelievable. Every time you call and talk to a different person, you hear some new shit. Yeah. (laughs) That you needed to know three months ago, but uh, nobody shared that with you at the time. I can live without that stress, please. I can stress out all by myself. <laughs> I don't need to deal with that. I don't deal with them much. They send me the thing for the envelope for the pay stub. They send them that. And we don't have any interactions with each other. That's it. Either every March or October, I get a bump up for how much I put into it. And they leave me alone. But SSDI is much better because you can have more in your account and all that. But it's still a headache. And any day, I still have to watch my hours. I still have to make sure that I don't lose it. Yeah, you have to just make sure you um, don't go over that income cap. Yeah, I don't have the patience for that shit, man. I want my holiday pay. I want my overtime. In the pandemic, a lot of people were getting essential employee pay. And I mean, I'm not like dissing you or anything for making the financial choice that you are making, but I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to be like, well, I can't do overtime because, or I can't get my holiday pay since I'm on SSI or SSDI. So, By no means do I care about my disability enough to where like I want to keep it forever. It's just, it's got to be the right opportunity. I'm not going to oh, just Oh yeah, no, you can't just cut it off at any time. I mean, if you can help it, that is a very tough loss for a lot of people. Yeah. You want to talk about job interviews or something? Yeah, sure. I know you talked a little bit about a job interview experience you had early on in your podcast, you were talking about this job interview you had, I think it was at a call center, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Very. I know that was very sad. And I hurt listening to that, but even finding jobs to interview for as a blind person, I think is a struggle because I always have this fear in the back of my mind about accessibility. Like, oh God, should I even bother interviewing for that? Because like, what if the computer software is not accessible or what if they're not willing to accommodate me? And 
things of that nature. I mean, definitely applied for jobs that I did not get, but fortunately, Ooh. one of the first jobs I had was for my college. Well, that was the first job I had. It was at my college working in the writing center and helping people edit their writing and teaching people the ins and outs of like academic writing, academic research. So that was really fun to me. I love editing and I love researching. And so that was really fun. And it was accessible because I was like, are you comfortable with putting your paper, like emailing it to me or putting it on a thumb drive? And usually people would say yes, or you just have them read it aloud, whatever. Like it was really easy for me to do. But that was through like an internship course that I actually took. I did not have to really interview for that. And then I actually did work at a call center. I feel like all blind people, like most blind people have this in their job history. Oh my God. Because there's some call centers who target people with disabilities. They do put on their job post or their website saying that they are willing to accommodate. And this is not all call centers, obviously, because your experience says otherwise. Well, by the way, call centers have are treat a lot of people like shit. It's not just disabled people. It's just I had oh, a very bad experience. Sure. Call centers, they run through their employees like crazy. They never keep the same employees for long enough. So the call center I worked at, when I applied to work there, I had to do a typing test. I think this is one of the things you were talking about. You had to do a typing test. Typing test is not accessible. And I sat down at this computer. And so I asked the receptionist, I'm like, I need you to read the words that I got to type, please. And you, for this particular call center, had to type at least 35 words a minute. So she's reading me these mm. words, by the way, reading super slow. And I'm like, hey, we're on a time piece here. Like, speed it the fuck up. I wanted to tell her, but you don't have time to say that. So I'm just typing. And what do you know? I only type 35 words a minute, according to this stupid ass typing test. And I don't, by the way, I type 80 words a minute. Still, I did then and I still do. And I'm like, well, that's bullshit. But at least I'm in according to the typing test. So I passed that I get to go in and talk to this supervisor and do a quick interview and it's a bullshit interview because it's for a call center position so whatever they just ask you some stuff that's asking you some stuff but it was funny because when I did the orientation sessions they were like man you type super fast and I'm like yeah 35 words a minute my ass but you know mm. that's what happens when somebody else is reading to you and not just talking like an person would to you on the phone so yeah I did that True. job and it was something to put on my resume and it was very uh eye-opening because I worked at a place doing outbound calls doing marketing research or political research so yep I'd be the person calling you and be like hey you know how you went to this uh such and such as wheels and glass the other day how was your customer service experience and i yeah. would do that and i would tell people like i want to talk to you about your experience with aarp there was one day i was calling people in my parents area of the state and i was calling customers of a certain company that they are customers of and i'm like oh my god please do not 
<laughs> let me call my parents at this call center. Oh. So that was wild, but the people there weren't super nice. I don't have anything to say that's bad about that particular place. They had other blind people working there. And there was a blind guy who had, I guess, developed scripts or something to make JAWS work with the particular software that they use to interact with the auto dialer. So uh -huh. that was pretty cool. That's pretty so, cool. And that was actually my first job interview I had ever done. And I got the job because I picked a place that was like, you know, we're willing to accommodate people. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going there. That made me feel really good, obviously, because I had a positive experience with my entry into the land of the employed. Just a couple of examples. Like, actually, my first job that I ever applied for, I got in too, actually. It was a oh, uh, bakery. Awesome. But when I got in there, it was an older man. He was just like cocky guy and just was just like, you know, you know if you want to be here type of thing. And I'm just like, okay. So then I told him I had an eye condition. And he was like, oh, okay, me too. I'm I'm 80 years old. And I'm like, no, sir. <laughs> sir, no, that's, that's not the case. I mean, he wasn't 80, but he, whatever he was. You know, you're trying to be polite because you want a job. And, you know, you know how limited the job market is for me. So I'm like, well, all right. He gave me the job because I was super honest. And, you know, he asked me about my criminal record. And I told him I got arrested one time and whatever the hell. And he, he respected me. He let me in. And, and he wasn't that great. But a lot of the employees that worked under him were very good. And, you know, they, you know, when I wanted to do certain orders for the trucks to pick up, they would, uh, like, on the bag, it would say, like, cheesesteak rolls. It would just say, you know, steak rolls. But it would be in large print for me. Like, they'd write it on the bag. And, and I would know everything that needs to go in that bag. And then it would say the name of where what bakery or wherever it's going and they took care of me like a lot of the the guys that were you know making the same and just at the bottom of the company like me they took care of me like it was it was very nice it just didn't work because the boss was just a complete asshole but i mean on the same token like here about three years ago and i got i got laid off of the job i'm actually at now just different department uh, i came in with three three new guys and we we were working good together but the problem is they didn't know any way to accommodate me. First of all, they didn't even, they were just like, they just kind of thought my eyes were just a little off and whatever. So then every time they would try to train us, they would be like half across the room going, do this, do that. And I'm like, hey, hey, I have to come over there. Can you show me? And I remember one point because, you know, I'm not a person that cares about ever reporting people to HR or any of that. But sometimes when people do certain things, it's hard to prove that they're being discriminatory towards people with disabilities because you can't really prove it unless you are disabled and you, you just know. And so this woman came next to me because she was like, I need the tape. And she said, by any chance, do you, do you work at this company? And this, now this company, they're for the mentally challenged. And she's like, have you ever worked there? And I go, no. I said, why? She's like, oh, no reason. Just my husband worked there. I'm like, okay. And I was like, that's not a valid question to ask me. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. And just walked away. And I said something to the HR person. I said, this is bullshit. And they're like, well, I don't know if you, you don't know her context. You don't know how she meant it. And I'm like, no, I know how she meant it. There's no reason to ask me that question. And just to say my husband worked there. Like, yeah, when other I know people want to be invalidating. It's like, oh, her heart yeah. was in the right place. You but don't, that's not didn't even, mean it. Right. But that's not even the worst part. Then one of the new guys that came in with me, he was cool. But he would help me with certain things that I couldn't see. So what they did was right in front of me and in front of everybody, they came over and gave him a $10 gift certificate to wherever, Dunkin' Donuts or whatever, and said, oh, you're so great for taking care of him. And you're just so kind to him. And 
I'm, you know, whatever I was, 25 or whatever. I'm like, this is so fucking embarrassing. I try not to be super emotional, but I wanted to cry so bad because it's just like, he didn't do that much for me. He helped me a little bit, sure. But it was like, it's like he was this godsend. And the reality of it was he thrived in that because then he wanted to help me more and more. And not because he was trying to help you, but because he got rewarded by someone else, which is doubly shitty. But he was kind of doing that before they rewarded him because he knew people were kind of just like, oh, you're so sweet. And it's like, dude, I'm I'm not some fucking charity case. Like, I just want your Mm -hmm. help. I appreciate that. But it's like, no. And he wanted to like borrow my phone to text his girl because his phone was shut off or whatever. And then it's like, and then he starts flirting with all the girls at the work and all this. And I'm just like, this guy is just a shitty human. And they just keep giving him all this credibility for just because he he helped me see a couple things. And it's like, man, like, and then and then on top of that, you know, they laid me off like a week later after they said there was no work. Yet we were work, we were all working overtime because there was so much work going around. And I found out months later, it was a, it was a, one of those temp jobs. I got to a temp agency in one of those like, uh, you know, summer jobs or whatever, sure. but you could earn your job. And I found out he was there months after me because, well, you know, so he was so grateful. Him. And I so was lovely person. Yeah. And the temp agency, the guy who got me the job, he was just like, well, we just want to let you know that they're going to, they're going to lay you off for now and whatever. And I'm like, do you know why? He's like, no, they wouldn't tell me. And I was like, well, you're not going to find out. He's like, no, it's really just not what we do. I'm like, well, thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah, that's scary. Isn't that kind of stuff? I cannot imagine that. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's it's super disheartening. Again, I don't want to just dwell on, like I said, we, like I said, the bakery, you know, fell into my lap and I got lucky. And the job I'm at now, I'm I'm, I'm lucky to a certain extent, but it's the hard truth, whether you get a job. And that, that was, you could say, well, I was fortunate because for a month I had a job. And yeah, I was. But I also was very mistreated you know it was constantly checking how many times i went to the bathroom and all these things now fairness they did that to everybody but there was just a lot of things just as a human you just like i don't want to be here and then they lay you off for doing nothing it's tough too because i've always been the person well not at the call center obviously because i had coworkers who were blind but i know when i worked in the writing center in college and at my current job, I'm like the first blind person. I'm the first blind person to do this or the first blind person to work in this area of the organization. And that's really difficult because you have to prove yourself a lot, which blind people tend to have to do anyway, like in a lot of different circumstances, whether it's a particular school or a job or I don't know, certain services that we use. They're like, oh, you're the, you're the first blind person I've, inter- I've ever interacted with. And that comes along with its own exhaustion because people are just unaware of what you are capable of. And it's tough to like, just tell people, okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. And I actually talked about this on my podcast where the hard thing is that there's never a time where people just allow you to demonstrate your skills based on your own merit, the way that they would allow other people to do. They just assume you can't and that you need way more help because you can't see what you're doing. Or there's times where like, because you're doing way more than they would expect you to, they're like, oh, well, you can't need, you don't need any help then, huh? You just got it. And then like, when you really need somebody's fucking help, you're like, where the hell is everybody? (laughs) Shit. Yeah. So It's either downplaying it or just overplaying it. Yeah, exactly. And also people just don't accept like, okay, if I need help or when I need help, I will ask you 
and yeah. I don't know, there's times where you say like, I can do this by myself and people are like, okay, but do you know how to do like X, Y, Z? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, when I said I could do it by myself, I wasn't just saying that to say that. That's really tough. I mean, I think the culture at every place I've had a job has been very accepting and supportive. Obviously, I've had instances with people or there's people I interact with every time. And uh, they're a little bit on the ableist side of situations. But for the most part, that's not the case. And I feel very fortunate that eventually people do let me prove myself and show them that like, hey, I can do this a lot better than what you expected and a lot better than what some other people can do. It's just people try to dictate what your limitations are when not knowing, you know, they just see on the surface, oh, you, so you can't see nothing. So that means you can't do this. And it's like, no, there's some things we, we understand we can't do, like driving or whatever is your disability that prevents you from doing certain things. Okay, I can't do that. Right. But that doesn't mean I can't do this or that. It's just, even if maybe I can't do it the way you do it, I can do it. It's just, you have to take a minute to work with me here and let us come together and figure out a problem solver. And we will, we'll get the solution. It's just, you have to be understanding. One of the things I appreciate, one of my coworkers, he is the head veterinarian at the service dog school I work for. And I have never felt this way about him. Like he is always somebody who he does not know what I can and cannot do. And that's okay. But he always phrases that as a question where it's like, are you able to do X? Or how do you know when such and such a thing is happening? It gives me an opportunity to educate them about me specifically and blind people in general in some instances. And I, I like that he phrases it as a question like, okay, I'm not aware, but can you or how do you? And instead of just assuming, well, obviously you can't do this. So you're going to need somebody else to, yeah. I mean, he, he never has that approach. And it's nice to have people like that in your workplace. I, I wish more people were like that instead of just assuming Absolutely. like you obviously can't notice certain things because you can't see. I've told you the story. I don't think I've said it on here, but like my supervisor, I do a certain job with, with vending and I fill machines and vending machines and so on. And, you know, my supervisor, there's certain things he would do for our department where it's just like, I could buy these boxes of candy in black and white, but I didn't want to change it for you because you know, the color patterns and you can see that far away. You can see the bright yellow M&Ms. So, you know, where M&Ms is, you can just go right to it. And it's like, dude, I didn't even think of that. You, you thought of something. I'm like, I'm like, go for whatever makes it gets the bosses off of your ass. I'm all for you. I got your back either way. But he literally was thinking about it through my eyes with having good eyes. It's like that stuff I love. I mean, I love him. He's a great guy in general. I don't have no problem saying to me and my boss, Tommy, I don't have no problem talking about him because he's my friend. But I can't say that about most people because most people are just very closed minded and they don't ever try to think. I'm talking about from the people who are able bodies or whatever uh, or sighted. They try to give me their perspective on how they think my life should be or how I should do something. And it's like the fact that he even had that in his mind without even me thinking about it. It was just like, man, like you, you develop a certain love and, and understanding and just you care for certain people because you know there are good people out here. It's just you have so many bad experiences or interactions that you just go, damn, like, why can't they be like this person? Just be understanding. Just try to understand, even if you don't. Hear me out a little bit. 
don't assume. That's my thing that fucks yeah. me up is when people assume. Right, yeah. Just let me sit at the table with you, with the big guys, and let me talk. Let me have an opinion. And then just hear me out. And, and again, we don't have to agree, disagree, whatever. But just don't, when it comes to job performance and all these different things, don't tell me what I can and can't do. Don't tell me I don't deserve to be around a ladder or, or whatever it is. There's always a way around everything. Just because you're uncomfortable with it doesn't mean I am. Oh, that makes me think of something. So when okay. I first decided that I wanted to work with animals, dogs specifically, right. I was going to apply to volunteer for the Humane Society. I'm about to knock the Humane Society. And oh, <laughs> well, this is a specific one near my college that I was attending at the time. And I thought, like, when you research how to get involved in the animal field, the one thing they tell you is to volunteer. And I don't know, I guess they tell you to do that for a lot of places, right? Like internship, which is pretty much the same as volunteering. So I just emailed the Humane Center and I'm like, hey, how do I get started there? And so they gave me all this stuff, all this information. And I'm like, okay, well, I am going to need somebody to walk around with me and do a quick orientation because I'm blind. Oh, that was not the right thing to say. Because then they were like, <laughs> you can't, we don't want you to deal with the dogs. You know, we will walk them and you might fall. But you can sit and hang out with the cats. And I'm like, wow. yeah, I'm allergic to cats, man. Like, I'm not going to sit somewhere for three hours and hang out with cats. No. Not that, <laughs> like, that wouldn't be awesome. Okay, I love cats. Don't get me wrong. But and I was like, no, I want to work with dogs, man. Like, they just viewed me as a liability. And, oh, that hurt a lot. And then it was interesting because it was the complete opposite when I applied to volunteer at the animal shelter. And they just thought, like, because I am blind, I must be way more in tune with animals. Because I can't see, I have to pay way more attention and pay attention in ways that other people don't. And I don't know, I was put up on a pedestal right off the top. And it was very odd, right? It was two very different experiences. I don't know, it definitely helped me bounce back from the Humane Society <laughs> denial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I've done volunteering at shelter just, just for cats. I remember going in there, it was just like, Oh, we just want you. You don't even like if you want to change their bowls and litter and do all these things. That's cool. We want you to just go in there and love them up. Yeah, they want them I'm to like, be socialized. Yeah. Uh, this is a thing. Oh, you, you got your man. They can climb all over me. I'm happy. I do admit I love cats, even though I'm allergic to them. But I would like after I was done with the dogs, I would like go in the cattery and get two kittens and like a couple of rattle toys oh. and like just sit in a room for a half hour with two kittens. Oh, and sneeze. <laughs> well, my allergies take, I think I have to be around cats for like 24 to 48 hours before they uh, start. A half hour is not right. enough. I have to wash my hands. I definitely, this is one of those situations where I've got to wash my hands. I can't touch my face. So provided that I do all of that stuff, I would have to like live with a cat for 48 hours before some bullshit started. Right. Now, they didn't take into consideration, I know it's kind of different, but they didn't take into consideration that you had a dog attached to you? I didn't tell the Humane Society that I had a guy dog. I just told them I was Oh, he away. wasn't with you? No, he was not. I mean, because I had just emailed. I was communicating with them via oh, okay. email. They had no idea. The shelter, I'm trying to think. I don't remember how the original correspondence started, but I did show up in person. 
and they were asking me specific questions about how I deal with my dog because obviously like that's how they get a gauge for how I'm going to deal with the dogs there but it's different one of the things about you know being disabled getting jobs like you know we all have to go through all these back channels you know you have things like career link and you have you know all these temp agencies and so on and they're there and they do get people jobs I have a bad taste in my mouth with them but I mean it, they do help people I have no experience with this. Well, again, this is what a lot of people do that are unemployed, mm-hmm. disabled or not. And you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. But this is also will tell you how you know, ill-equipped they are to deal with us because they're just trying to get the average person a job. They don't care about what you can and can't do because they get paid based on how many people they get jobs. They don't care about your situation. They're not judging you or, or even accepting it. They're just like, okay here's a job for you. You could go do this. And I'm like, okay. So the first one they tried to get me was a forklift driver. And I'm like, sir, didn't I just tell you what I, what, what my condition is? And he's, okay, whatever. So we went down that rabbit hole for a minute. And then they got me an interview with this. Actually, technically they kind of got me the job too. It was just like, you go in there, you go to work. Like, okay. So I get in this place. It's this factory. And I didn't know the history of it until after I found out it was one of the most dangerous places to work at, but I'm like, okay, whatever. So they, this guy, really loud guy, he just comes up to me in the break room. I was waiting for him. He just stomps on my boots. He was testing if I had steel toes on, but this is his hello. So he stomps on my boot and he just says, okay. Cause he said, well, you know, there was a black guy in here and I stomped on his Timberlands and it made him very unhappy. And I'm like, well, sir, you probably shouldn't have done that, but okay. These are steel toes. So he's like, all right, good. But now we're going to, I'm going to cover up your boots and we're going to make it a whole thing. Cause you know, it's just the toe, not the whole boot. So then he starts taking me around all these places. And he said, you know, you're going to have to watch out walking through here because sometimes there's going to be giant cranes and there's going to be these things that are to come through that can kill you if you don't get out of the way. And I'm like, okay. So I'm already kind of nervous because I'm trying to get a job anyway. And I'm now I'm really thrown off. So he's like, I'm going to pair you up with whatever this guy's name is. And I said, okay, cool. He said, just so you know, he's deaf. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and he's like, we're going to, he's going to show you how to do the job. I'm like, cool. So he takes me over and apparently I have to work this big ass equipment where I'm flipping logs and doing all this thing. Well, the deaf guy just takes it on his own and just starts doing the job without actually showing me. And I'm behind him waving my arms. and I'm like, fuck, what do I do? I can't yell to him. The deaf person thought you could see him. They didn't communicate with him. They just said, hey, train this guy. Yeah. So he <laughs> thought he could see you because usually like that's how right. a lot of people train other people is by letting the newbie watch you. But of course, like that's not going to work for us. No, and, and 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 good for this deaf guy that he has a job and he can do. And like I said, I was happy that they had a deaf guy there. But they were like, here, we know you're visually impaired. He's deaf. You guys are kind of similar, right? You guys should be able to work together. And I'm like, I don't think that's the case. So then eventually they saw that I wasn't doing it. I'm just standing there like with my mouth. I'm like, this is hilarious. Now I can laugh at it. But in the time I was just like, this is so depressing. Like I'm not going to be able to do this job. And I've only been here 20 minutes. And my confidence was so stripped. And then the guy comes over and he tells the deaf guy to leave. And he starts working me. He's like, I don't know if you can do this job. I'm like, well, first of all, you have me wearing ear protection. My eyes suck. Yeah, you have me wearing yeah, gloves where I can't feel. So I said, mm-hmm. he said, do you think you could do this job? I said, well, unless I can lick the buttons, no. <laughs> because you already took away three of my five senses. Yeah. Yeah, licking the buttons was the only thing I could pretty much do. And it's like, I left that place and, and, you know, I went back to CareerLink and these temp agencies and I just like, and I, and they just kept presenting all these type of jobs. And they're also the ones that got me the, it was a place where you deal with like women's clothing. I was always working on brawls and, and, and men's clothing too. 
but still it was just the place where they given cards out to people that are helping people with disability just for little basic trivial things but it's like again if you want to be a part of the community and you want to get jobs you know you go through all these little back channels and these back channels aren't ever even close to being suited to deal with us even just as visually impaired or blind people, let alone any other disability. And she's like, yeah, sit down, we'll get you a job. And then we'll get you a job that you can't do. That's wild. So a lot of blind people and maybe other folks with disabilities deal with this too, but we have our state rehab agencies. And usually like there is a specific branch of the rehab agencies that help folks who are blind. They are trained to help us with technology and accessing accommodations, whether it's pertaining to education or employment or just independent living. And so a lot of blind people work with a rehab agency in order to become employed. And the problem I found with them is that like we were talking about earlier, they encourage blind people to go into very specific areas because, I mean, I don't know if it's like they have leads and they have contacts because, of course, a lot of times it is about who you know. And they have contracts with certain places, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think that might have been the case with the call center that I worked at. I think they had a contract with the rehab agency. That's possible. So when I told the caseworker I had for the rehab agency that I wanted to work with animals, I was pretty much told, good luck. Like, we can't help you with that shit. Good luck, though. Have fun trying to figure that out. And I was just like, for real? Like, y'all not going to tell me what places are cool to reach out to or some avenues worth considering? None none of that. I mean, I also got the, well... Don't you want to go do such and such? Like, what are your skills? Don't you want to go into something with, you know, these certain abilities? And I'm like, no, I want to work with animals. So get out of my way. Yeah, they make you sign all these papers and they do all these, run through this whole, you know, rigmarole of just, hey, we were very supportive. We want to get you a job. That's all we care about. And then they get you a job and it's like, see ya. It's like, Oh, you, you're not. Oh, employee. yeah. Once you become employed, they close your case. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's over with. And another thing, one of the things I learned, I don't, I don't know if you ever learned this, but dealing with uh, like OVR and stuff, they can kind of help because they have connections and so on and so on. But if you work for certain like nonprofits, um, especially the ones who, who hire people with disability, they call that uh, non was it non-competitive and they will no longer deal with you either. I found that through the job I have where I had a a person come down from somewhere out of town, uh, wherever the office is. And he was working with me for about a year or so. And, you know, they give you all these goals on like, what can we do for you to help you get another job while I'm working? And I'm like, well, I'm good here for now. I don't love it here, but I mean, I just started here. Why the hell would I want to get another job? Well, you know, we're in your corner and, you know, after so long, we're going to have to terminate you because you're working here. I'm like, so your goal is to get me a job while I have a job. So this isn't good enough for you. And it's like, well, it's non-competitive. I'm like, well, if you can find me something better, great. <laughs> but you're not offering anything. You're just telling me we need to get you out of here. Yeah. And that that's another thing that a lot of disabled people don't under don't they don't tell you. 
So a lot of the services that are provided for you, there's certain jobs that they won't even help provide for you because of this non-competitive thing. I don't even quite understand it completely because the logic behind it is ridiculous. It's just, you know, and again, they have contracts too, and they have places they could like to get you in. But again, after a certain point, they cut you off too. Well, not that this is logical, but trying to look at it from the agency's perspective. Okay, so they're overworked like a lot of different agencies that work with disabled people or people in need. And so they have more and more cases coming in. And so eventually, I guess they need to, they have some criteria that you meet where they will close your case because they have children who are aging into needing a rehab counselor. And so, yeah, they set a limit on the number of people that they're willing to help or the type of people that they're willing to help. The thing that sucks from our perspective as folks who are employed and on their own is that the rehab counselors often are your resource for getting accessible technology. So if you need a new computer or a special device, even to make like your kitchen adapted or whatever. Or training to, to how to cook or any of that. Give you some independence. Like they or, can get you yeah, people. Yeah. Like, if yeah. you want like orientation and mobility training, usually right. you coordinate that through your rehab counselor. And so like when your case is closed, you are paying for that on your own. I mean, it's possible that you can find another nonprofit in your area who's willing to assist you because Those do exist. Like where I was at, I think there was the, I don't know what it's called, like the foundation for the blind where I was at. And of course, like there's lions clubs all throughout the nation who help people with disabilities. Yeah. There's one in every state and internationally. So there's other organizations you can reach out to, to help you with costs, but it's tough because now you've got to navigate that on your own. And I don't know, this is stuff that people don't show you how to do this. I mean, no. Your parents are learning as they go because there's not a crash course on raising a disabled child. (laughs) And so your parents are learning as they go. And then I struggle with this a lot. Like when it's time for me to do things on my own that I've done for the first time, I don't call my parents. I guess I'm misindependent. I'm always trying to do shit on my own. And I don't know what to ask. Like, I don't know what to ask them that's going to get me the most sufficient answer to help me they only know what the job market is like for them and how they navigate through it whereas like unless you have another disabled person telling you you have a whole other type of challenges that they can't even comprehend and it's not their fault at all not that you were saying that but it's like they they can only tell you what they can tell you the job market is hard but they can't tell you every oh yeah no they're at a loss Mm -mm. yeah they can only tell you certain reasons and you know like i said there's so many things that a lot of people and and then on top of it is that not enough of us have jobs, as you said, 36%. So we don't have many people to just go to and say, hey, man, how'd you get a job? Or, and, and, and even if they got it a legit way or whatever, you know, people fall through the cracks, people get lucky. And some people fought for it and so on. But it, like I said, there's not enough of us. We can't just say, I know 100 disabled people. There's, you know, whatever you said, 1.6 billion. Yeah, but we don't know 100 of them that have jobs. Not to say there isn't. Yeah. There are, but... Well, and you can network. There's plenty of networking opportunities, depending on the career fields that you're going into. So if you want to be a blind educator or 
if you want to work in rehab services as a blind person, be a lawyer or go into computer sci, whatever. Like there's networking opportunities for all of that because there's a lot of blind people working in those fields. Right, right. And they yeah. can give you, you know, connects and network you into that career field. When you want to do stuff like work with animals, I'm just like, oh, it's tough. It's tough to get into for sure. So it just depends on what you want to do or what you are willing to do. I decided to do something. I'm just like, yeah, I could. There's a lot of different jobs I would have an easier time getting, I guess. But I don't know. I feel very fortunate that I'm able to do something that I love. That is not something a lot of able-bodied people are even no. able to do, especially really early in their career, the way that I have. And so that yeah. is very, very exciting for me. Yeah. I think one of the, the, one of the things that a lot of people, you know, some of us who are fortunate to get jobs, something that has, doesn't get spoken about enough is a lot of these nonprofits and a lot of these organizations that hire us also hire us for specific reasons. They don't just hire us because we're these great people. Because the reality <laughs> of it, if we're being honest with ourselves, we didn't earn our jobs. We did over time, but we got our jobs because of what we are and because they get money for that. I there's, got there's my job. Oh, God. I know that I got my job because someone there knew someone who knew me. And yeah. I guess they they spoke up on my behalf, which is good. I don't know. Maybe there is some fucking quota. I don't know. There's other blind people are at work. No, I mean, no, I mean, a lot of these uh, nonprofit organizations that hire disabled people, they mm -hmm. hire them because they get financial reasons for it. It's it's what they, well, they benefit. Yeah, they do get this. a tax break. for. Yeah, they do. That's why a lot of these organizations don't all they also don't promote you to get off disability because they also get something at the end of the year for keeping us on Social Security. Um, God, there's I a lot of things know. that go into it. Yeah, yeah, there's some, there's some, there's some, you know, Come on yeah. now. Uh, no, I'm serious. Um, but not, not all of them, but I'm, look, there, there's some good people at all these companies, there's bad people at all these companies, but greed is always the problem. I think a lot of, you know, same with the, the, all these special interest groups, with anything in life, everything that is good starts off good. And if it gets corrupted, it gets corrupted through greed. And a lot of times these companies are like, look, I want to do something for the blind. I want to do something for the, you know, special needs or the deaf. And, it starts off great and then they make their first million dollars and it just becomes this, yeah, oh, how can we manipulate this so we can benefit more? And that's why a lot of these CEOs of these companies, whether they're disabled or able bodies, they're making six figures and everyone below them is making, you know, whatever, maybe $30,000 a year, $40,000 a year. Yes. At best. Yeah. <laughs> and you you are the disabled person who slaves over and busts your ass and does all the hard work. They use your, you know, your logo, your, you know, your disability to, you know, get more jobs. And, you know, it's basically guilting the public or guilting the community. We need money. And in order to get money, we need to say, hey, look at all these blind people. Look at all these people that are busted up. You know, can we have money because they need it? You know, all these poor people can't, you know, we, we give them jobs. Aren't we great? And it's like, Look, we appreciate the job, but at the end of the day, that's all you gave us. I made you more money than you made me. Let's be real at the end of the day. Not, not just me specifically, but we contribute in our own way at the end. We, you gave us a job. That's the beginning part of it. Thank you. But I don't owe you anything else. I owe you by 
putting my effort in. And then at the end of the day, I am not some pawn or just some person you can just use. But, you know, we do get used. And so there's so many things that go into everything. And again, it's great to have a job. At the end of the day, I'm not complaining about having a job because I know sighted, not sighted, disabled or not, a lot of people don't have jobs right now. Some, some their fault, some not, or a lot more not. And, you know, that's really, really sad. But one of the people in that 36%, you know, it's, I'm grateful to have a job, but there's also a lot of stress and frustrations that come with it with, with, with anything in life. But, you know, I think that's part of the thing why a lot of disabled people are so frustrated a lot of times because nothing is ever easy. Not that we always yeah, want things to be Yeah, I often say we got to work 10 times as hard to get half as far. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And that's what you know, I've talked about, like our ceiling. Our ceiling is so low so that when we actually break through it, it's like we're just like this crazy mythological creature. So you went to college? You graduated? Holy shit. Hey, what? Blind like, people work here? I've heard that. Whoa. And they can do stuff? It's yeah. like, yeah, I pay my taxes. I, I do stuff. It's amazing. You know, and it's not to just crap on the jobs we have because we have jobs and everybody gets screwed at their job at some point or another. Yep. It's just different. You know, I mean, my grandma, I've gotten argued. She's like, you always complain about your job and this and that. And I'm like, grandma, she's like, or she says, every job is like that. I'm like, yeah, but there's a certain thing that I can't really explain. There's a subliminal thing that's kind of segregating in, in the, the disabled Yeah. Community. Do you want to know what that is? A couple of things. One, tokenism. Two, objectification. Yeah. Sums exactly. it up real easily with those two words. Right. And you only understand that if you are on the, the losing side of that. The people who are high up, they don't understand that. They know nothing of it because they never have to. I've talked to some of the, the, the bosses and they're just like, oh, I never want to leave this job. And I'm like, I know why. You get all the benefits that we get plus more money. Yeah, more money. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I wouldn't want to leave here either. But they look at us like, well, why, why do you guys not want to leave here? And I think another thing, they kind of overplay the fact that we get disability. Because it's like, well, if you get laid off, you have disability. It's like, yeah, that pays my rent. That's not anything. Like, in the grand scheme of things, I have my own place. If I live with my family and I, I didn't want to do anything with my life, yeah, then that $800 or whatever is cool. But if I want to still live and function and actually get another job and, and, and pay my rent and get my cat litter for my cat. I need to have more than 800 or whatever coming in just because you don't have 800 coming in. That's, that's just like the one thing that has been thrown at us. The yeah, one there benefit, are very few places in this country, but there are some places you can live off a of disability or not disability, but social security. And of course, very like rarely. they're probably getting a housing benefit, right? I mean... Right, right, it's yeah. yeah, yeah, they're getting some other benefits there in mm -hmm. order to make that stretch because otherwise I don't understand that shit. But well, you can come through certain programs and they'll pay your whole rent, so the 800 yes. is basically what you have for everything else. Uh huh, yeah, um, that's true. But again, not good for that. I mean, well, some people get lucky at certain things, everybody gets lucky at something. We all get a couple things that, like you said, you and I have jobs. We're fortunate over a bunch of people, even if our eyes are busted and we've had mental health and whatever problems we have, we still have jobs. We're still alive. We're still breathing. We're still walking. We're still doing great things. It's just, we still have things to complain about. Yep. <laughs> and we still, still have problems. At the end of the day. There's benefits and disadvantages to everything in life. 
You just got to know how to use your disability to your advantage. And I don't mean just lie and just use it like, oh, I, I can't see. So give me this. No, just you can make your life more amazing than you think. It's just you got to stop listening to other people. You yeah, know, keep good people sure. around you. Don't let other people convince you to keep yourself down because they don't think highly of you. I'm saying something that sounds easy to do and it's not because I'm telling you from a person who hated themselves and had no friends and, and all that. It's super hard, but you get one or two good people around you that even care about you at all and, you know, aren't just going to give you yes men type answers and just, just care about you and criticize you when you're doing something wrong. Like, that's what you need. Like, we all can't do this alone, even though, especially disabled people, a lot of times we, the ones, you know, I know Raven is and I know I am, we're, we're hard-headed sometimes and we, we try to do everything on yep. our own and, yeah. and we can't do it all. We can sure as hell try. But sometimes you got to let people in. Sometimes you got to let someone just be there because, you know, loneliness is the thing. And, you know, doubt and, 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 you know, inner demons and all, these are all things that affect us. And the only way we're going to overcome it is, you know, obviously figuring out who we really are and then finding good people around us and just helping us through this fucked up journey we're going through in life. Yeah, people who are going to lift you up instead of pull you down. We're going to talk about getting our places. Deep down, we all have these fantasies of what we want to do and the place we're actually going to move into. And then life hits and then you realize, like, okay, it's that isn't going to go that way. And so I didn't get my first apartment or first place until I was shit, 29, no, no, 28. And I lost a lot of my life of some things I've talked about in childhood and a lot of things I was kind of fixing my life and, and getting me mentally prepared for the world. And you know, I was, was kind of babied by my mom and grandma, and I had all these different theories and thoughts and how I'm going to make it and blah, blah, blah. And then it was presented to me, and it was like, oh, this is my head. is not how it's supposed to go. It's something I will get into into a further episode as far as the main reason why I moved up here because of some arguments with my mother. But she was essentially selling the house, and I had a choice to move in with her or find my own way, essentially. This is when I was still living in Philly. And I remember there was a, a place that had a job opening. And I contacted my uncle who lived down in this area. And I said, hey, can you get me the number for that place? And he said, yeah. So I got a hold of them. And I, once they heard visually impaired, they're like, ooh, we want you type of thing. You know, we still want to interview you, but there's a good chance you're going to get it. And I'm like, okay. But I'm like, shit, how am I going to get down to the interview? I don't live down there. And so then I came down to visit my grandma. There's like a guy who lives in both areas and he has like a little van service and got down here and got the interview. They liked me and I had to wait a little while until I got the okay as far as, you know, the P test and all these things, you know, the, the background check and all that. That's what took the most. And they said, all right, we're ready for you. And I'm like, you guys know I don't live down there, right? They're like, well, we'll try to help you get an apartment, but they tried, but not much. And so I called the place and said, hey, how long is it going to be? He said, maybe a year. I said, all right. As I asked grandma, can I just live with you until I get this apartment? And so we came up with our little boundaries and whatnot. And, you know, of course, I had to move my cat in. Kind of fell into place and it was awkward at first. And then I kind of got comfortable there. And so then when the apartment eventually ended up being two, two and a half years, which unfortunately, they said, we're ready for you. And I wasn't exactly ready mentally. And I was just like, can we push it back? Like, can I go back one more spot? Because I knew it would at least be another month or two. And they were like, no, 
you need to get the apartment now or you're going back to the bottom of the list. When you say like someone said we're ready for you, what are you talking about? So a lot of apartment complexes, there's a list on, you know, they only have so many openings. They only have so many apartments. Oh, so like my complex, okay. Yes. Okay. 100. So you had yeah. contacted this apartment complex in advance. Right, right. And then oh. I had to get on the list. And okay. not knowing that it was, you know, a lot of people wanted to move here. And so they said, eh, it shouldn't be no longer this and that. And it ended up being about two, two and a half years, unfortunately. And I tried other complexes, but this was one of the nicer ones. And I was like, okay, cool. And I can afford it and all that and whatever. Two, two and a half years in, they finally came to me and was like, all right, we're ready for you. And if you don't take it now, you know, again, you're going to drop to the bottom. And I said, okay, well, I have to do it. Because I'm, I'm at my best when my back is against the wall. Hence moving here from Philly when after my mom said, you know, you have two choices. And so I would lay in bed and I have all these thoughts. And I would just be like, I had this fantasy of like me sitting. Because I bought a lot of things beforehand. Like I had a recliner and I had all these things ready. I have like these special bulbs I can change different colors and tell a Siri or Alexa to turn them on and all these different things. And so I had this like mentally down pat. I'm going to lay in my recliner and I'm just going to think about all the things I've been through. And I'm just going to appreciate my journey and my life. And I'm just going to be happy because I have my own place. I do now. But when I first moved in here, the first night I was petrified. I was just like, I'm alone. And again, you know, we don't like change. And I'm just sitting here and I have my own place and something I've been wanting for so long and something that people said I could never have. And I'm like, I got it. Now, why am I not happy? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so sad? But now I'm way more appreciative. You know, I'm even looking for a smaller home, but a house, but I'm super grateful. But it took me a while to appreciate it because of you know, all the baggage that came with me, but also just when it takes so long to get something, it's really hard to appreciate the journey because you feel like, not that you didn't deserve it, but you feel like, and maybe, yeah, do I really deserve it? Like it took this long. Does somebody want me to have this? You know, whether you're thinking it's your God or, or whatever it is that you like think is, is in your way, blocking you from getting things, you're like, why did it take me 28 years to get this when it took my sister 16 or whatever? It's like, is my eyes really that much of a problem for the world? But I mean, I'm very happy in my apartment. I'm cozy. I have a very different story. <laughs> I was living with my parents when I first started working at my current place of employment. They were driving me 25-ish minutes each way. Well, 25-ish minutes there without rush hour traffic. But they were transporting me back and forth, which I am incredibly grateful for that. But I don't know, that was like a lifestyle in their household for whatever reason. Like all of us who lived there, we like me and my siblings and even them, like for whatever reason, everybody's job was a half hour away. So hmm. not a big ask when I'm just, hey, yeah, you know, my job's also a half hour away. Not quite a year into working where I work now, I saved up enough money to move out on my own. I had set a goal for myself. I'm just like, by April, I gotta be out of here. There are a lot of reasons I hated living at my parents' house. I don't like living with people in general, but also they live in an area with no sidewalks. And I love getting out and going for walks. I love that shit, especially with my dog. And I'm like, this is not working for me, living in a place with no sidewalks where I gotta take a Uber or a Lyft if I want to fucking walk around, that's bullshit, <laughs> among other things. So mm -hmm. 
yeah, I got my own place. And I applied to live at several different apartment complexes. I don't know, I called a lot of places because I'm like, whatever, I'll find a studio apartment because, you know, that's cheaper. Right. Uh, we have affordable living here in Michigan anyway, compared to other parts of the country. But I was like, I'll get a studio. But there are no studio apartments open because, of course, everybody else has the same thought process. And I was like, oh, God, okay, well, let's see how much these one-bedroom apartments are. And originally, I was going to move out with my brother, who is a year younger than I am. He was not mentally ready because I would ask him, I'm like, okay, what kind of area do you want to live in? And he was like, I don't know. I'm not thinking about that. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Why are you not thinking about that? If you want to move out, I'm like, you have a choice about where you get to live now. Whatever. He wasn't ready. And so I moved forward. I'm just like, okay, well, that's going to hurt. Not being able to split the financial responsibility, but I'm just like, I'm ready to get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Yeah, I applied to different places. My dad carted me around and took me to see different apartment units you know i would set up an appointment and my dad would pick me up from work and we'd go look at a different place i think i looked at three apartments altogether, including the current complex i live at and it was tough because like everyone i saw i was like oh i want this one. Oh, i want this one. Oh, wait i want this one and i'm like i don't know how to choose <laughs> and my dad was like well i wouldn't pick any of them really like none of them are impressive okay y'all live in a 2,700 square foot house. Like what apartment is it that you're going to be impressed with? That made me feel kind of crushed because I'm like, okay, well, I have very specific criteria about where I want to live. I'm not just looking for any place. I wanted to live in a place near a park because I love going on the walking trails. I love that shit. And I wanted to live somewhere where there's a good amount of traffic. So like downtown area type of setup. The fact that you can't see, did you have any criteria on like what you no. wanted for like the interior? Of the apartment? Nope. Like, did you care if it had a small kitchen or, or whatever? Nope. I got a small kitchen now. Nope. Less for me to clean. All you cared about was more of the scenery around. I and, cared and about the surroundings. I cared about, I wanted to be a busy area, but with, you know, I could get mother nature in if I wanted to. And Right, right. Yeah. I also needed it to be a certain distance from my job because in the event that I can't get a ride, I need to be able to walk there. It's very important to right. me. So the bus goes there or whatever, Uber. And... Yeah, all that stuff. But in the event I can't get a ride, I want to know, okay, I can walk there. So right. I had all those criteria in place. Yeah, I didn't have any criteria for the interior. No, but... I don't know. When my dad was just like, yeah, I wouldn't pick any of them. And I'm like, well, I kind of have to. (laughs) Like, it was tough for me to make a choice, but I made the right choice based on the cost of rent and security deposit criteria and stuff. So that was cool. And then I don't remember how long it is that I looked at an apartment here. It might have been February or March. And then I moved in April 29th. Not going to forget it. But I decided on a place and that was cool. That was very freeing. But of course, that comes along with its own stresses because, hey, you got to sign a lease and people want you to read this long ass document and then be like, all right, well, you're going to sign this on move in day. And I'm like, yeah, send that to me in a PDF or something, please. And I'm like, yeah, we don't send it to people because blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, well, check this out. 
So I just called the parent company <laughs> over the property and I'm like, yeah, man, I'm blind. So I need, I'm not signing this document unless I know exactly what it says. You expect your tenants to adhere to a certain set of rules and I'm okay with all of that, but I need to know what that shit is if I'm paying to stay there. And uh, that sorted that out. So they did send it to me. That was good. Another thing was getting all my furniture together. And for the first time in my life, I went furniture shopping extensively for mm -hmm. me. And that was a pretty cool experience because I don't know, I didn't do much furniture shopping with my parents when I was younger, but it wasn't for you. So it's like, you give a fuck. You don't care what they're talking about or what they're looking for. But then when I am moving into my own place, my dad was like, well, what kind of pattern are you looking for? What kind of look do you want your place to have? And I'm like, are you for real? My dad was asking me if I wanted artwork hanging on the walls in here. No. <laughs> I don't know. It's cool to go to furniture stores and check out different prices and haggle because that's always fun. My dad raised us to negotiate and bargain. So that was cool getting to be a part of that process. My dad also is the type of person that he recognizes when like, okay, we're here for you. So he would like leave me with the salesperson and be like, yeah, call me when you're done with this. And the salesperson would be like, wait, what kind of, and he's like, you're talking to her, not me. And just disappear, which I appreciate massively about him. <laughs> but yeah, furniture shopping was an eye opening experience on its own. Cause now, now I know for the future, like, all right, don't go to these stores. Cause they don't charge much for a reason or don't go to these stores because they charge you out of the ass for no fucking reason. And so I know for the future, all right, these are the middle of the road places that aren't worth working with. How were you with your financials before you got your apartment? Because I had to kind of teach myself all kinds of things. Like you know what's, and... what's really fucked up is I took personal finance twice. I took personal finance in high school and in college and I still still did not have the best financial literacy. That was a struggle for me. I went into debt over the furniture, obviously, not as much as other people have. I got a massive deal on a lot of my furniture because I took advantage of it being springtime. But yeah, my financial stuff was not, it was not right. <laughs> Definitely went into credit card debt. There was a time I was like living, I don't want to say I was living out for credit card. I wasn't spending everything on there, but like all my groceries, that was a thing. Definitely went through that. Yes. And okay. So I was liberated on my first night here. I felt very liberated, but I struggled with mental health when I first moved here for sure. I was struggling with mental health when I was living with my parents. So yeah, I mean, same issues, different location, shit. Mm -hmm. And that was tough. I don't know. I grew up with a lot of different struggles, living in a very combative environment. And right. we talked about this off the recording, but it's tough when you have to fight and struggle all the time. And then all of a sudden you don't have to fight and struggle. And it's tough to turn that off though, huh? It's tough to turn off that like yeah, you're always in battle that, mode. That stress, that cortisol and adrenaline, it's tough to shut that down and tell yourself like, okay, you can relax now. Like you did all the hard work. Okay, rest. I definitely struggled with suicidal depression. I did get therapy. I don't know how long I lived here dealing with that. Maybe like a year and a half or something. 
Did you deal with the, when we accomplish something that everyone accomplishes, but it's more of an accomplishment to us, like getting in our apartment, we sometimes don't feel as proud of it because we're just like, Hey, sir, I got a job. And it's like, yeah, so do all my kids and I, and my wife. And I'm like, I have a different outlook on that from you. Cause I, I'm just like, Ooh, I need to do this because I don't want to say I need to do it because I'm a certain age, but if not now, when? I don't know, a lot of the people around me, not a lot of them, but some of them are like, oh, wow, you live by yourself. That is a normal everyday milestone. I don't know what you mean. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm just saying, did you go through that? Because some of us go no. like, I, I went through that for a minute when I got my apartment and I wanted to be proud of it. And I am now, but it was like, when I would tell people like, yeah, like I'm living on my own. And you tell someone who's been living on their own since they were 18 or whatever. And they're just like, yeah, so that's, yeah, yeah so you, what? You, 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 you know, completed a goal that we all strive to do. Yeah. The way you feel proud of yourself is you look at all the people who are in our generation (laughs) and still live with other people and aren't disabled (laughs) and are not disabled. Yep. Yep. Exactly. That's a little bit elitist, but whatever. No, shit. I don't want to say I base my pride off of people who are less fortunate, but like people with less drive. It's like, look at how far I was able to get and how much more I had to struggle with. Yep, I'm going to say it. How much more I had to struggle with compared to some of these like non-disabled people. So yes, I pat myself on the back privately. You should. Yeah, nothing gets under my skin more when a person is just like, like I'm 30 years old and I have two kids and, but I don't drive. I'm like, Why? Oh, well, I was just a little nervous taking the test oh, or what. Yeah, I'm like, are you out of your mind? Like, you're 30 Yeah, we can't imagine kids. that. How because, do you survive? Because they depend on other people. Other people don't yeah. have issues with that shit. They I have, have friends. Depending on it's other like, people. But you, like, you're proud to say you have friends that you depend on? Yes. All the time? They, it does not bother them in <laughs> the slightest. I think it's tough for us because like, we have to depend on folks for things that other people don't. And so for really simple shit that a person able-bodied could do on their own and you just fucking don't, it's like, do you realize how lucky you are that you don't have to depend on somebody else for this? Whereas for us, it's like, okay, God, this is like one more thing I gotta ask from somebody, shit. Uh I don't want to ask my friends for things all the time. I feel like I'm like running up the credit. It's like, oh, now I owe you because I I ask you for rides all the time. And it's like, but you know what? Man, what do I contribute? Okay. So somebody presented me with a certain way to look at that. Sometimes you don't have to necessarily contribute anything. It is good enough that you are somebody's friend and they care enough about you as their friend that they will help you without asking for anything in return. And if you give them something in return, you know, they appreciate it. We all contribute to some people. Like the I, people I, that I don't you're know. Close to. I don't know. I did this with like my coworker who gives me a ride to work. A lot of the times we have a schedule that overlaps. So on the days that we overlap, she's like, I'll give you rides to and from home. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I'll help you pay for gas. And she's like, oh, okay. And she didn't ask right, for right. that. She didn't ask me to do that. But I'm like, come on. I mean, you're going two miles out of your way to and from work. And like, I have the ability to contribute in that way. I'm not gonna take that for granted. 
Yeah. So. No, I, I, yeah. I mean, once you finally come out of your head and then you like, cause a lot of my friends, I know they would do anything for me and they know I'd do anything for them. So even if it's not money wise, I mean, I've done the same thing, offer money, but a lot of times it's just being someone in their life that gives a shit about them and doesn't treat them differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't, has nothing to do with being disabled. Just anyone. It's just like, oh, you're my friend and you don't get mad at me when I sometimes are just in my feelings and, you know, yeah, I just call you for a conversation because I'm sad yes. or angry. No, like the you're friends that who like so- treat you like family, just like your family doesn't always ask for anything in return when they help you out. There are friends like that and right. they don't expect anything back from you. It's very nice. I went through that same struggle where I'm just like, man, I am such a fucking mooch and I don't <laughs> have any way to like say thank you other than thank you. Yeah, yeah, that is definitely getting stuck in your own head and not just accepting yeah. that. Like, just accept that, yep, you need help with things that other people don't. And other people are okay with just giving that to you. Yeah. And sometimes your, you, sometimes your energy and your, like, everything you've accomplished and overcome and just be by, by walking around with your dog and no one being there, no cars or everything you accomplish, sometimes you inspire others just to live their lives better. And that's just something it's like, wow, like that blind person does stuff. And I sit at home and I go, oh, I complain because whatever, my husband left the toilet seat up. And like, but that person just gets through life. Even if they don't see the things you complain about or whatever, it's just like, you're in a way kind of a a bright spot in their life where it's just like, man, that person does something for me that I don't ever express or explain, or even maybe I can explain, but it's like, there's something about that person that's like you're contributing in a way you might not even know. Yeah, I've never thought about that. No, <laughs> never. See, this is where we're, we bob and weave out of our uh, positive and negative. Sometimes she's the the bad guy and I'm the good guy, and then vice versa. So, yeah, that's why it works. One thing I did want to ask you: Did you ever have any pushback or discrimination when it comes to getting your apartment with the dog? Now I know it's kind of illegal for them to say no. But people still do it because there's places you can't have pets and stuff, but obviously it's more than a pet. So have you ever had a place just go, no, you can't have him if you want to live here? No, I live near a service dog school. And Ah. so maybe that's a reason why like members of the public are educated. Not all of them, but more of them are aware. But I think every place I looked at was a pet friendly complex maybe there might have been one that wasn't but no I didn't deal with any discrimination when I came to even look at the apartments none of them made any comments about me bringing the dog into the apartment because of course like usually the one you look at ain't the one you're gonna be moving into so yeah I mean but they clean that shit in between anyway if they have to like I'm sure there's people who look at the apartments and they've got mud or snow or whatever on their shoes and so well, you know my dog's gonna come in there and shake off and leave a few hairs I mean come on so yeah nobody said shit to me yeah there's fortunately really don't like animals oh oh and yeah some pe- some I've, people... I've read those stories absolutely and yeah. then and like I said there are, I've, I've, I've met a few people that had that discrimination with the dog it was like they tried to tell them no and then you know of course they didn't win that argument but just the idea of people still actually try to tell you no like, yeah you they do have him and it's like no, I can. Like legally, I can. You can't do shit. And they try to use like, well, it's my property and all that. And it's like, doesn't matter. Like, you want my rent? 
I'm paying for the dog too. No, I never had issues with this. I, wonder... I never, like when I was doing the furniture shopping, didn't have issues with that. Although my dog, um, oh my God, my dog, I had at the time I laid down on a bed and he was like, oh, we're doing this. And he never, never, ever, ever jumped up on beds. But then he, he jumped up there like, what are we, what are we doing? Why are we here in the store laying down? And I was like, get off this bed. So I had to pay $300 to have my cat. Just, I mean, they allow animals, but you got to pay for them one-time fee. Like, can they make you pay for a service animal? No, I cannot. I didn't think so. If you have a service dog, they do not fall under the criteria for pets. It is an accommodation that they allow you to have. And you do have to adhere to certain rules, though. So even though I don't have to pay a pet fee or pet rent, I do have to sign paperwork every year saying that these are the rules I'll live by as somebody here with a dog. I do have to present them with my dog's vaccination records every year. Okay. So, so kind of, sort of, but yeah, you don't have to pay for it. You well, just there's certain rules I have to adhere to. And uh, yeah, no, again, no pet rent or no pet fee. Nope. That's good. Yes. I, I figured that, but that people get out of it, not just because you have a legit reason, but there's a lot of people just say, I have, and I've heard this. Yeah. I'm living on an apartment complex, complex, complex with a bunch of these motherfuckers. Lots yeah, of them. Somebody said that they didn't have to pay a certain amount because they had an emotional support snake. And I'm like, you could do that. They're like, yeah, there's as nobody long doing as they get that it from their doctors here, but there's lots of people doing it with dogs. You're not supposed to have a dog here, pet dog over 50 pounds. Oh, okay. And there are so many people here with like Labradors and somebody had a bull Mastiff and like Huskies and stuff, which all Huskies are not over 50 pounds, but, but but I'm just like, what? Like, how was this the case? And they're like, oh, well, those are service animals. And I'm like, there is no way all these assholes are disabled. I am sorry. (laughs) I'm calling bullshit on some of these people. Yeah. I don't know, whatever. If you get a letter saying it, then hey, just bring it, bring you whatever you got going on. But yeah, people do that with dogs here. Yeah. Well, I think some of these doctors and places are so afraid of lawsuits that it's like you can just get a doctor's note for some of these things so easily because no, it's. Oh, but the- you can get uh, forged letters online. So that's right. also a thing. Yeah. But again, I mean, even though I don't think people should use the, the excuse that I have a snake that makes me happy and that's why I want them. I think people should just let people have their fucking animals. Not like a snake's going to do anything, especially since it's mainly in the cage. It sucks because it kind of makes, it takes away the seriousness from what you have. You know, like yeah, your animal sure. literally is the life and life or death type of situation. Like he or she is always there for you. And you, you know, you need that animal. Whereas these people, they need it. Maybe yeah, it does make their mental health down, but that's it. That. Yeah. And I get that. So, but, it, you know, it, it sucks that it has to be equated to what you go through. It downplays it when it's just like, yeah, all these, uh, yep, there's 600 people living on this complex and 200 of them have service animals. You're shitting yeah, me. Exactly. I mean, come on, yeah. get out. And y'all just take the letter, I guess, and uh, let people have... Yeah. You know how that went. One person said, wait, why can't, I don't even have a dog. Well, well, you should see what I did. And they just go through their whole lineup. Oh yeah, you just go to the doctor, you get this note, boom, boom. And you just say you're emotional. But certain you places cat. promote that because they'll tell, like certain places will tell you, you cannot have a dog here over a certain size. 
unless you provide us with a letter that says this is a service animal or, or an emotional support animal. But yeah, I mean, a lot of places will even just say that. Or, ooh, I also learned of this loophole. The dog has to be under 50 pounds when you get it. Come on. Get out. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you're most likely going to. It's going to be a puppy. Mm, Yep. Or young. Yeah, that's a a good loophole there that people take advantage of. Yeah, if you just get a brand new puppy and then you just go, boom, and then (laughs) you know it's going to be a Mastiff. Or one of these like mountain dogs and you're just like look look at him he's tiny yeah i mean you could say that about a wolf or a coyote <laughs> you could just say yeah oh uh, yeah he's a puppy and yeah he's good i'm gonna tell people really quick about my podcast again huh yeah again like i talked about earlier do a podcast called intersectional insights me and my co-hosts are all disabled black women Essentially, we're talking about everyday issues from our perspective. So we've covered a lot of topics as they relate to disability, and we are going to transition into other aspects of diversity coming up. Definitely subscribe. Check it out. We'll see you guys later.